training with the twelve continues. Most of you have been here this first three months of the year know what we're doing. We're traveling with the twelve and playing like we're the thirteenth apostle and seeing what uh, Jesus taught the twelve. By the way, there is a children's uh, get-together back there, so if your child missed that somehow, you can take them over if they want to. Anyhow, we've been on a section about uh, religious acts and religious liberty. Uh, Jesus was confronted a number of times with the disciples about how they did something or didn't do it according to the Jewish tradition, usually. Not the Jewish law, but the Jewish tradition. And he answered those things in different ways. Uh, We spent quite a few weeks on the Sabbath because Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath quite often. Uh, He didn't break the Sabbath. He uh, broke their interpretation of the Sabbath, and he discussed that with them in an interesting fashion. Uh, The two that we've got left tonight, we're going to talk about washings, ceremonial washings, and next week, uh, fasting. Jesus had confrontations uh, on both of those things. Uh, this one, the, the washings, or a much more favorite word for it, is ablutions. A good word, ablutions. You don't, none of you know what an ablution is, do you? All of you did your ablutions this morning, your washings before you came to church, hopefully. But anyhow, uh, that's what this was, ablutions or washings, particularly of the hands, but also the whole body in lots of cases. And the rabbis had a defined manner you were supposed to do that. They had a defined manner for almost everything. But for this in particular, before you ate, you were supposed to wash your hands in a special way. And I don't know the exact way. I read all kinds of descriptions of different uh, washing for different kinds of situations. Uh, But they had a ceremony for it. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, Jesus and the twelve, and we get two different situations here, uh, when they got time for lunch, they just sat down and ate. Okay? They didn't go through all this stuff. Okay? Well, that's what tonight is about. The, the rabbis taking issue with that and why they didn't follow their tradition, and we'll get to those in a minute. But first, let's do what we've always done, is look at what the law says. And what the practice had become, because we're finding out it's considerably different. Uh, and we went through a lot of talk about the, the Talmud and turned into the, or the Torah, and then the, the Talmud was the written oral tradition, or the oral traditions, and then the Mishnah was the written oral traditions, and how that grew until there were 6,600 pages of uh, instructions to cover just a little bitty, bitty part of our Bible. So the law in the Old Testament says nothing about washing before eating. It's not in there. Don't say anything about it. You can eat with, I guess all the kids are gone, so I can say this. You can eat if your hands are dirty. That's just fine. Okay, according to the Old Testament law. Uh there, Leviticus 22, and I summarize that on here for you, 6 and 7, talks about a mandatory washing of the hands 
but it's for priests, and it's only if they've touched something unclean, and it's before they eat any of the holy offerings. So if you're looking for a verse that says, wash your hands before you eat, that's as close as you're going to get. Uh, if you were a priest in the tribe of Levi, and you had made the sacrifice and were getting ready to take some of the holy meat, you better have washed your hands first. Uh, there are some requirements in the Old Testament about washing and cleaning yourself. Uh, most of them are health-related, uh, something about keeping the body clean when you're sick or have different uh, bodily problems. Uh, and there's some that are symbolic of spiritual purity. Uh, for instance, when the, if you go back and read when the priests got ready to go serve in the temple, uh, if you've read that this year in your daily reading, you know they had to do all sorts of cleaning. They had to clean their robes, they had to wash them, they had to wash their bodies. Uh, when Aaron and his sons were instituted, uh, they had to do all these special cleansings. Uh, but that's to show that I'm spiritually pure to go in. So... The Bible, the Old Testament, has got some stuff in it about washing, but nothing close to what the rabbis had come up with. The practice had become huge. In fact, uh, the Mishnah, which we've talked about as the the written down uh, oral traditions, the largest, there's six sections, and the biggest one is about purifications. Okay. Uh, for something that's really not in the Old Testament much, that's kind of amazing. Uh, it's the biggest section in the Mishnah about how to do all of the ceremonial washings and purifications and ablutions and all that. The interesting thing is when writing all of that down, the uh, scholars are very careful to try to tie it to where they got it from. What What principle in the five books of the law that they got it from. And turn over to Leviticus 15.11. Leviticus 15, the whole chapter is about uh, being unclean because of bodily discharges. Okay, Kind of a gross chapter, uh, but that's what it's about. And some of them are normal monthly kind of discharges, and some of them were due to sickness or sores or boils or something like that. I suppose if you had a cold and sneezed, that would be a discharge of some sort. And, and these are laws about that, that if that those kind of discharges make people unclean, and you need to wash. Somebody sneezes on you, you ought to wash before you eat. Well, makes good sense, uh, even today. But read verse 11. Uh, anyone the man with a discharge touches without rinsing his hands with water must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean until evening. Okay. So there's a verse that in the middle of all these passages about discharges said, if somebody with a discharge touches you and they haven't washed their hands, you need to go wash. You're unclean. Okay, well, that's a health matter, obviously. But when the rabbis were explaining how this Mishnah exploded to so much information on purifications, they said the whole code of purifications 
comes from this verse, which holds a, in their own words, this is a hint of a principle. <laughs> okay? Uh, everything else they write about, here's the principle. Moses said this, so this is the principle. On all these purification things, they said, there's a verse that's got a hint of a principle in it, and from that, we've dreamed up all these special washings if you're possibly unclean. Okay, What they had done, and if you could read the Mishnah and see what's all in there, they made a ceremony out of it. Okay, you read Leviticus 15, it's if you got the discharge, you got a health problem, you need to wash. They made a big ceremony out of it. You had to have the right kind of water. Uh, some of them called for a special pure water. Some of them called for a uh, living water or flowing water. It had to be connected somehow to a stream or something where the flowing water, uh, which is good health sense, <laughs> it took the uncleanness out. So some of them required that. And then they made a huge deal out of how you apply it, what you do and what you don't. Uh, and I've read some of those ceremonies and didn't look one up specifically. Uh, but one of them, I remember the parts that you had to hold your hands up with your fingers up in the air and then pour water over that hand and then pour water over this hand and let it drain down to your elbows and do that, and then had to have turn them over and do it the other way and let it drain off the other way, which I assume that's where the doctors learned how to wash their hands. I don't know. But anyhow, they, they made this huge ceremony out of it. And some of them were a lot more complicated than that. But you had to do it with the, the right water and the right ups and downs and all of that. Uh, the the mikvah. Today we've talked about that. We've talked about it in here or not, but it's basically a baptism, is what you might call it, because it's an immersion in water. And they had lots of uh, mikvahs around Jerusalem and every place. It's probably why the apostles could baptize three thousand people so quickly. But anyhow, that was a complete immersion of the body, and it was used if you wanted to become. A Jew, if you were a Gentile and wanted to be a proselyte, you had to be immersed. And then a number of these purifications involved the mikvah. You had to completely immerse the body in flowing water that would get rid of the uncleanness and all that. Uh, the most obvious one, which still exists today for practicing observant Jews, uh, is females. After their monthly discharge, seven days after, they have to go to the mikvah and be completely immersed in water uh, and completely nude. And there is a attendant there to watch and make sure you get completely under the water okay, to clean you, to cleanse you from your ceremonial uncleanness. Okay, so. Uh, they developed all of that out of that. Now, that's in Leviticus 15. You do have to, uh, we're supposed to be cleansed seven days after that time, uh, but it's still practiced today by observant, strict Jews. They had included more possibilities 
than anything in the Old Testament. We Remember we call that extending the fences. You just keep putting fences around it so nobody gets even close to breaking the law. And like on this one, they dreamed up that if you left your house, as long as you're in your house, there were probably no unclean people in there. But if you left your house and got outside, there's probably somebody unclean out there. Somebody with a discharge or a Gentile or somebody that you didn't know. And you might encounter uncleanness out there if you went to the market or something especially. So you had to go through washings after that, after you left your house. Uh, they came, went so far as to say, even if you walked down to the end of the street and came back and encountered nobody... Well, the wind blowing blew over Gentile lands and probably had uncleanness in it. Okay, So to be sure, let's put the fence out here and make sure we do our ceremonial washing. Uh, Then they went to adding other things to it, like household items, uh, plates and cups. They all had ceremonies for them. To wash your plates and your cups and make sure they were ceremonially purified. And what they had done is from a little bitty spiritual purity kind of idea, they had created this huge, complicated physical operation. And so what you had to think about was where you were and who you ran into and who you said hi to and who you shook hands with and and on and on and on and on. And if you did all of the physical washings right, then you were spiritually pure. That's the gist of what the problem was tonight when Jesus runs into them. Okay, so the law and the practice had gotten way apart. Now, the confrontations. There's two passages, Matthew 15, 1 through 20, and Mark 7, 1 through 23. Two accounts of the same episode, basically, uh, but a little bit different. So let's read them both. Let's go to Matthew 15 first and see what happened. uh, Ready? Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Uh, The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why do they not wash their hands when they eat? Okay, now this was not about Jesus. He wasn't doing it when they got him here. He will later. But they came and asked about his followers. The twelve weren't worse washing their hands. Uh, Jesus answered them, And why do you... Break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. Isn't that a tactful response? Isn't he kind and gentle and the the peaceful lamb there? Now we're going to see that this is different. Uh, Next week we'll talk about this in more detail because we'll have more time. But remember on the Sabbath, Jesus never jumped on them. He just explained that no, what you think is important is not important. And he argued with them through common sense. Next week when we get to the fastings, 
uh, he's even nicer. But on this one, on washings, I mean, he comes back swinging. They come up, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? And he says, why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? And while they're taking a deep breath, he gives them the example. He says, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him, and he said, Hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth? That defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) That ticked them off. And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. The blind lead the blind. Both fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Well, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. Okay, that's quite a story. In Mark 7... Uh, it's almost exactly like it. We won't take time to read it, but just a very few differences in there. Okay, his answer to the Pharisees. He shoots them Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, don't you know how that... Smoked the Pharisees. I mean, they were the ones that knew everything. They had all the commandments figured out. They had all of their additional oral traditions figured out. And they could tell you what was good, what wasn't, all of that. They could talk about it all day. And Jesus said, that's all you do is talk. You honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. In fact, your worship's vain. Because all you're paying attention to is the commandments of men. You're worrying about whether my disciples wash their hands or not. That's not even in the law, boys. Nothing in there. All you're teaching is your traditions. So he shoots them Isaiah 29, 13. And then he illustrates the problem. He tells them, here's what I mean. When I say... Your hearts are far from me, and all you do is teach the commandments of men, and you miss the real principle. Okay? Uh, And what he's talking about in that illustration there about mother and father is what they called korban. Uh, The way I pronounce it it may be something else, but I say korban because 
saying Corbin confuses me. Anyhow, the Old Testament was very clear about you had to take care of your mother and father. Okay. That was your duty. Honor your mother and father. And they took that seriously. Uh, as long as they lived, you honored them. If they needed it, you took care of them. Uh, you, that's just the way society worked. Uh, probably the way society worked best, but it, it worked that way. And uh, what the rabbis had done was came up, come, had come up with a custom, which was called korban, which meant you could take some of your money and declare it korban. That meant devoted to God or given to God. Now, that principle uh, still works, kind of. Not a bad idea. I mean, Dave Ramsey would approve of that one. Uh, What are you supposed to do with your weekly contribution? Put it in the envelope, right? You declare it, this is God's. I'm not going to spend it for anything else. Yeah, well, they came up with that. That's a pretty good start. But then over the years, they kept adding and thinking and all of that. And pretty soon, the rabbis ruled that if it was devoted to God, then you didn't have to support your parents with it. And the next clause in their reasoning was, if you just said it was devoted to God, that cleared you. You didn't have to give it to God. You just had to have it in the envelope, or I think, actually, you could spend it for something else if you just called it devoted to God. So when poor old mom and dad come creaking over and need a little help with the food bill, he said, I'd love to help you, but my money's Corban. I've devoted it to God. Well, that was the actual practice. That was what they did. And so that's what Jesus jumped right in the middle of them for, is here's a commandment of God, honor your mother and father. And what were they doing? They dreamed up all these traditions and ways to deal with things that ignored the principle, the command. So that's that's his answer to them, is you, you people don't worship God right. And look at this example. Look what you do on Corban. Okay. And then the crowd and the apostles get into it, and he explains to them. He does this a lot. You read the Gospels as a, as a story or as a novel, you'll notice that. He'll shoot the Pharisees something, or the religious leaders, or whoever's attacking him. He'll shoot them something, and then he'll turn around and talk to the crowd. He said, now listen to this. And he'll tell them what I just told them. And then usually the follow-up to that was he'd get back to the campfire and the 12 would say, Huh? What was that all about? And so he'd explain it to them in more detail. Well, that's what happens here pretty much. He called the people to him, verse 10, and said, Hear and understand. And he tells them a couple of things. The Pharisees are blind guides. That if you don't know what you're doing and you follow them, you're gonna they'll lead you into a pit. Okay. 
Now, other places, he said, when they're quoting the law and stuff like that, you've got to do what they say. But all these traditions and all this other foolishness, he said, they'll lead you into a pit. So, so don't listen to them. Okay? And then he hit them with the main thing, that what their problem is, is they focus on the outside rather than the inside. And he said, what they're worried about is what goes inside you. Something from the world, a piece of cabbage or, or whatever. They think if you pick it up and your hands aren't ceremonially clean, that somehow you're putting uncleanness into you. He says, think about it. <laughs> I mean, he gets pretty direct here. Think about it. You put food in your mouth, you chew it up, it goes into your stomach, and then it leaves. How can that make you unclean? And he says what really is unclean is what comes out of the heart. And he lists all this stuff for him. Uh, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault, wits, and slander. The Pharisees concentrate on the outside and don't worry about the inside. I mean, just look at his example. How godly, how merciful, how kind, how loving is it to support your parents? Conversely, how cold-hearted and mean and Scrooge-like, and I can't even think of any other words, is it to tell your parents, no, I can't help you. That's his picture. Is they're worrying about what you eat with your hands here, and they're going around telling their parents they can't help support them because they've got this goofy tradition about they've devoted it to God and hadn't even given it to God. Okay, so Jesus is not happy here. He, he's not dealing sunshine here. He's dealing pretty straight with them. Okay, let's look at the one other example, Luke chapter eleven. This is Jesus himself getting in trouble, not defending his disciples. Luke eleven thirty seven through 41. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, I wish this is one where I wish Luke would have given us some more details. Uh, I'd like to know if the Pharisee said something or he just did that look. You know, like, oh, it doesn't wash. Uh, and I'm sure he could have conveyed it quite well either way, but it doesn't matter. To, and it doesn't say. It just says he was astonished to see that Jesus didn't wash his hands, didn't go through the ceremony. Now, I'm sure that was pretty obvious. I mean, as big a deal as they made out of it. I mean, I'm sure there was the table and the bowls and all that. And the Pharisee and any other guests they had stopped to do all their things. And Jesus said, man, those grapes look good. Let's go over there and get busy. So he started eating. And that's all the Pharisee did was look astonished, or maybe he said something. And the Lord said to him, 
Now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. But inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Okay, that's a little bit convoluted language, but just out of the blue, he tells this guy who's sitting there thinking, I can't believe he's putting unclean food in his mouth. He makes a picture here of, remember they had all sorts of practices for cleaning the dishes and the plates and all that, how they had to clean them all. And he said, you're like a cup or a saucer or a plate or something that looks real good on the outside. And it's filthy inside. Nobody's washed down inside it. You got the outside looking good where it sits up on the shelf and is real pretty, but it's dirty. Now, when he does the seven woes and some of those other things, he hammers on this a little bit harder and really wears the Pharisees out. But this was his answer to this guy. I mean, what kind of guest is he? He gets invited to lunch. And jumps right in the middle of this guy. Uh, and to me, that's the interesting part is seeing how he dealt with the different situations. And we're going to we get a little table of that next week when we do fastings. Because on fastings, he was completely the other direction. They asked him about why he didn't fast, and they did. And he said, no big deal. You can fast if you want to. My people aren't. Yeah, I mean, that's all he said. And we'll see the reason next week. But on this one, he jumped on them. So he told them about washing the cups and dishes only on the outside. And then he repeats the thing or had the same story in there about the concept of focusing all on the outside. If the ceremony is done right, you're clean. If you do this and this, and everything right, you're spiritually clean. Even if you're not supporting your parents, even if you're a liar, an adulterer, you're immoral, you false witness, you slander, which is in the heart. Uh, real morality is in the heart, and you're not even worrying about that. You're worrying about the position of the ceremony. Okay? So that's your little run in here on these a couple of occasions. Uh, some of you kind of looking like you wonder the, the reason in case you don't come back. Let me tell you, on this one, what they had done is not only made a big deal out of nothing, they'd also got the principle totally screwed up. Okay. The Bible's not about ceremonial, physical Cleanness, about health. And they had made that the deal. Where if you do the physical things, you're spiritually pure. That got Jesus hot. Okay. On the Sabbath thing, all they'd done was get a little bit overzealous. They wanted to keep the Sabbath so bad that they thought, well, aren't you working on the Sabbath? You can't do that. And he reasoned with them. He said, no. He said, 
That's not what the Sabbath is about. He didn't get mad at them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't call them any names. He just said, no, the Sabbath isn't about that. You got that wrong. And on the fasting, all they'd done is they just did some fastings that the Bible didn't talk about. As far as he was concerned, that's all right. You're going to fast. It's fine with me. But it doesn't do my guys don't need it right now. We're happy. We're having a good time. In fact, fasting would be out of place if we did it. But he wasn't mean to them. He just said, it's okay. So all of this different confrontations about religious acts and what you're free to do and what you aren't and all that, Jesus was really focused on that principle. If you miss the principle a little bit, that's not good. If you go beyond that and completely get it turned upside down, where you substitute something like physical acts for the spiritual, then he's hot. So next week we'll do fasting and then uh, some lessons learned. We'll fill in a page on that hopefully. So lesson is yours. If you're here tonight and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, or if you need something from this family, I'll be here at the front to receive you. Be happy to help you in any way you can. Brother Carl, come and lead us. Let's sing. Sand and sing.